You're listening to a sermon from Providence Baptist Church in Kansas City, Missouri. For more information about our church, please visit church-kc.com or come and visit on a Sunday morning. Sunday School for All Ages starts at 9 a.m. and our worship begins at 1015. Thanks for listening. Nothing up here on the screen today. There should be a pew Bible in front of you if you need a copy of God's Word. But I invite you to follow along with me as I read. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased." When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And all God's people said, Father, thanks again for the privilege to stand here uh, and to preach your word. And uh, on this most holy of days, as we celebrate the birth of of your son and the birth of our Savior. Father, I pray that you would just uh, speak through me in this moment. Uh, allow me to, to have clarity of thought and mind and speech and clear, uh, allow me to clearly communicate the truth of this text, the truth of your word here today. And I, I pray, Lord, that we would just all leave this place uh, with joy in our hearts. We would leave this place rejoicing um, after having encountered you in your word and being reminded of your great love for us. I pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Historians have a term that they use to describe the golden age of the Roman Empire. And this term is Pax Romana, which I believe is Latin for Roman peace or the peace of Rome. And Pax Romana, this golden age of the Roman Empire, it was marked by several characteristics. First of all, it was marked by relative peace and order and stability across the whole of the empire. And I say relative peace because 
There were still wars and conflict, but it was primarily confined to the borders of the empire as the empire continued to expand. If you lived well within the borders of the empire, you experienced peace and order and stability. That was really an uncommon thing in the ancient world. So that was one characteristic of the Pax Romana, this golden age of the Roman Empire. Another characteristic was great advancements in technology and infrastructure, including but not limited to the building of roads and highways that linked faraway places of the empire to the city of Rome itself, which of course was the hub of the empire. All of this then led to a time of economic expansion and prosperity. So you put all of these things together, peace, stability, great advancements in technology and infrastructure, economic expansion and prosperity, and you have this thing called Pax Romana, the Roman peace or the peace of Rome. This Pax Romana began with the rise of Caesar Augustus in 27 AD. And you'll notice that Luke introduces us to this Caesar in verse 1. Now, you should know something about this title, Augustus. This is not his last name. This is a title, and it's a very important title. The title Augustus, it means holy or revered. And what this means is when they, when they gave the Caesar this title, that, that meant that from this point forward, the Caesars of Rome would no longer be considered just mere men. In fact, they would be considered men who had became a god. So Caesar Augustus. And I don't think, church, I don't believe it's an accident that it was precisely this time in human history when the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, and, and when Caesar thinks that he is a man who has become a god, I don't believe it's an accident that it was exactly this time in human history when God decided to become a man in the person of Jesus Christ and to come to this earth and to offer us peace, the kind of peace that we all need, peace with God. The Apostle Paul says it this way in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born of a woman. With the rise of the Roman Empire and the rise of Caesar Augustus, the fullness of time had come. The stage was set for God to accomplish his eternal plan for Jesus Christ and his church. We begin in verse 1, and Luke says, in those days, sometime around the birth of John, that was the last thing we saw in the narrative, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And of course, he doesn't literally mean all the world. It's all the known world, all of the Roman world. But what you need to know is this. Such censuses were taken every 14 years during this period of the Pax Romana, and it was for the purpose of, of collecting taxes. It's not just to count heads. We have a census here in the United States. It's every 10 years, and it's for the very same purpose. It's not just to count heads. It's to count heads to know who all should be paying taxes. And so sometime around the birth of John the Baptist, it was time for another census across the whole of the Roman Empire. Now you need to understand that for Jews, whenever they would take a census, it was very important that they be allowed to go back or they would go back to their ancestral home so that they could be counted among their, their people and their, their tribe. And so they, they probably said something like this to their Roman overlords. Okay, you want to count us, you want to register us, that's fine, we'll submit to your census, but you need to allow us to go back to our ancestral homes. And, and the Romans, they were very interested in really two things. They were interested in keeping the peace, and they were interested in, in collecting taxes. And so they probably said, okay, well, if this is what it will take to keep the peace and to take your money, then we'll allow you to return to your ancestral home 
for the census. And that probably is what serves as the backdrop to verses 3 and 4 where we read, and all went to be registered. And when he says all here, he's referring to Israel. All Israel, not the whole Roman Empire, went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And the important thing to note here, church, is that Jesus will be born in the city of David, Bethlehem. The prophet Micah, Micah 5.2 in the Old Testament, he declared, he said, but you, O Bethlehem, shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel. And that's, that's a prophecy. That's an Old Testament prophecy of the Messiah, the eternal king who was to be born in Bethlehem, who was to bring God's rule and reign over the entire earth. And here, here's why I find this fascinating, or here what I, here's what I think is cool. If not for Caesar Augustus and Pax Romana and the census, Joseph would have had no need to return to Bethlehem. If not for the Roman Empire, he would have married Mary, and they would have stayed right there in Nazareth, and they would, they would have had all of their kids right there. This only happens because of the rise of the Roman Empire. So I, I want you to think about this for just a second, church. The, the Romans believe that they are building a worldwide empire. They, they believe that they are, they are taking the rule and reign of Caesar Augustus, the, the man who had become a god. They believe that they are taking his rule and reign to the ends of the earth. But in reality, church, they are unwitting accomplices in taking the rule and reign of Jesus Christ, the God-man, to the ends of the earth through the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Indeed, after Jesus' death and resurrection, Jesus' disciples would make great use of those Roman roads um, in the infrastructure and the technology of the Roman Empire. They would make great use of the economic expansion and prosperity and relative peace to take the gospel to the city of Rome, to far-flung places of the empire, and well beyond the empire itself. And so, yes, with the rise of Pax Romana, the fullness of time had come. All of the ingredients were in place for the fulfillment of God's eternal plans for Christ and His church. And today, the Roman Empire is no more. But the kingdom of God has gone out to the ends of the earth, because here we are, 2,000 years later, on the other side of the world. Can somebody say... Amen. Caesar is long gone, but Jesus Christ is alive and well on his throne. Verse 6, and while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now, this is a very simple description, wouldn't you agree, of the birth of the king of the world. There's no pomp and there's no circumstance here. In fact, it appears that Mary and Joseph are all alone in this moment. You'll notice she's the one who, who wraps him in swaddling cloths. She's the one who places him in the manger. And so it appears as if they're all alone. And it's possible, we don't know for sure, but it's possible that they're, alone, they're all alone because they've been rejected by family. Uh, the word for in in verse 7, and I'm sure some of you know this, the word for in in verse 7 can also refer to a guest room. And so we probably shouldn't assume that Mary and Joseph tried to check in at the local Motel 6 that night in Bethlehem because there probably aren't many Motel 6s in Bethlehem at that time. It's possible that they were intending to stay in the guest room of a family member. And it's also possible that this family member said, uh-uh, when they found out that Mary is pregnant 
and betrothed. Luke actually tells us that they're still betrothed at this moment. She's not supposed to be pregnant. So maybe they've been rejected. Maybe that's why they don't have a place to stay. We don't really know. But whatever the case may be, the entrance of the king of the world is as humble as it could be. It's unlike the birth of any other prince in human history. That The very first night on earth, he lays his head where cattle have fed. That's what the manger means. A manger is a feeding trough for cattle. When I was a young boy, I might leave the house sometime and maybe forget to close the door or maybe forget to shut it all the way. And somebody might say, hey, shut the door. Were you born in a barn? Imagine Jesus at 10 years old. He leaves the house and he forgets to close the door. And by the way, that's not a sin. Despite what your parents told you when you were growing up. He forgets to close the door. Hey, Jesus, close the door. Were you born in a barn? Well, as a matter of fact, I was. Who among us could say that we were born in a barn? I would imagine none of us were born in a barn. But the king of the world, he was born in a barn. When, when I compare his birth and the circumstances of his birth to the birth of my children, I'd have to say, you know, anyone who didn't know different, to, to look at the birth of my children, they'd have to say that my children were, royal, were royalty, and Jesus was not. I mean, think about, my, my kids were born in a modern hospital. They had a roof over their head. It, they, had, they had heat. They had air conditioning. Uh, they had running water. They had access. Well, they didn't, but we had access to internet and TV. And when, when the child is born, there, there's a nurse there to take the child. And what, what do they do immediately? They, the very first thing they do, I think after they weigh the child, it's been a while since this has happened, but they, they weigh the child and then they give the child a bath. Because if you've ever seen a newborn child, you know the, the child needs a bath. And so they, they bathe the child and then they wrap it in swaddling clothes and they put a little, little beanie on its head and then they, they, they bring it back and they put it in this machine, this bed-like thing with, with lights on it and they make sure that the, the child is warm and you know, they have someone there to check its, its vital signs and make sure that the child is healthy, someone to change its diapers, make sure the baby's getting fed. And then they're pampering mom too. And I know that's not how we like to think of it when we go to the hospital. But really, that's what's happening. I mean, there's someone there to wait on mom, hand and foot, for 24 hours a day, for however long she's there. N none of that over here in the barn. It's Jesus, it's Mary, and it's Joseph. And it's in a barn. It's in a stable. It's outside. It has well been said that the king of glory entered the world not as a prince, but as a pauper. And that really is true. And the Apostle Paul says it this way, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Jesus Christ, the God of heaven, the God who became man, the owner and the creator of all of the universe, he temporarily lays aside all of his divine rights, sinking himself into human flesh. Though he was rich, he became poor. So that you, though you were poor, might become rich by his poverty. Not materially rich, but spiritually rich through faith in Jesus Christ, receiving forgiveness of sin and the promise of everlasting life. Can somebody say, thank you, God. Praise be to God. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over the flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. You know, Israel's greatest king, King David, he was once a shepherd in these very same fields. Think about how cool that is. 
And he famously wrote in Psalm 23, David said, the Lord, Yahweh, is my shepherd. And here's why that's important. Jesus would later claim many times on multiple occasions to be Yahweh in human flesh. And he would also claim or declare in John chapter 10, verse 11, he would say, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, you know what he's saying? He's saying, I am the one that David talked about in Psalm 23. I I am David's shepherd, or I was David's shepherd, and I have come to be your shepherd. So it is most appropriate that when the angels appear that night in Bethlehem, that they appear first and foremost to the shepherds in the fields that night. Verse 10, and the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ, that is Messiah, the Lord. As we have seen before, humans always respond with fear in the presence of angels. Bar none, it always, always happens. And so they are told, do not fear. But then they are told why they should not fear. They should not fear because the angel brings a message of good news and great joy for all people. And if you like to mark your Bibles, mark that phrase, all people. And let us all understand, church, that the birth of Jesus Christ is not just for a select few. What God was doing in Bethlehem that night 2,000 years ago is for all people. Regardless of the color of your skin, regardless of your nation of origin, regardless of your socioeconomic status, the birth of Jesus Christ is good news for all people. Now let's talk about this phrase, good news, for just a second. This phrase, good news, comes from the word that is also sometimes translated as gospel. Gospel means good news. And so this word, I think is a pretty cool word, this word was oftentimes used by the Romans, the people in the Roman Empire to announce the good news of something, of some big event, such as the birth of an heir to the emperor or when a new emperor ascended to the throne. In such cases, messengers would ride throughout the Roman Empire and they would ride into towns and villages and they would, they would say, gospel, gospel, gospel. Good news, good news, good news. The emperor has ascended to the throne. Or gospel, 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 good news. The emperor has an heir. There's an heir to the throne. And I don't know about you, but I think it's really cool that God chooses this word right here to announce the birth of the heir of David's throne. It's as if the angels are saying on this night, gospel, 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 the heir of David's throne has been born tonight in the city of Bethlehem in the city of David. Verse 13, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host. Heavenly host is a military term. Maybe you know this. Maybe this is the first time you've ever heard this. This this is an army of angels that appear in the sky that night. Imagine being out there all of a sudden. There's one angel and then there's an army of angels. But this army of angels have not come to wage war on this occasion. They have come to sing they, they have come as a heavenly choir. Did, did you like the choir special earlier today? Wasn't that wonderful? You'll have to come back tonight for the 6 o'clock service because they're going to be doing it again. Imagine a different song, yeah. But come back tonight and be blessed again. Imagine this heavenly choir up here and imagine how heavenly it must have sounded to the ears of the shepherds that night. I have a tradition in my family 
I didn't get to do it this year, but I always like to watch the Army-Navy game. Anybody like to watch the Army-Navy game every year? And at the beginning of that game, before that game, every year there's a military choir that sings the national anthem. And I'm here to tell you that is the very best rendition of the national anthem you will ever hear in your life. They, they, should, they should do that. They should perform that at the Super Bowl every year, that military choir. It always sends shivers up my spine. Well, imagine being in the fields that night as a shepherd, and this military choir of angels appears in the sky, and they begin to sing. I can only imagine the shivers that are running up the spine of these shepherds, and they begin to sing, and they say, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. The phrase, with whom He is pleased, it speaks of those who received God's grace, or it speaks of those who who God is smiling upon. And you'll recall earlier that the angel previously announced that the birth of this child was, quote, for all people. But this remark here in verse 14, it makes it very clear that salvation is not automatic for all people. Jesus indeed came for all people, but not all will respond to and benefit from His coming. The only way to have God's pleasure upon you the only way to have His smile upon you is to receive the gift of His Son, Jesus Christ, through personal and abiding faith in Him. We read earlier John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. A lot of people are confused about what it means to believe in Jesus. To believe in Jesus is to believe that Jesus died on the cross as a sacrifice for your sin. That also means you need to believe that you are a sinner in need of salvation. And if you don't believe that, come back tonight and I'll try to prove it to you from the pulpit. But we should all recognize that we are sinners who fall short of the glory of God in need of God's salvation. And so the only way to receive that is by personal and abiding faith in Jesus Christ, believing that He died on the cross for your sin and was raised to life again. This is why Jesus Christ came. He came to offer salvation to all people. But not everyone will receive this gift. Like all the gifts under your Christmas tree right now or tomorrow morning to receive this gift, you've got to take it. You've got to open it up and unwrap it and take possession of it. You can only do that through personal and abiding faith in Christ. We skip down to verse 16. And they, that's the shepherds, they went with haste, with great excitement and anticipation, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. There he is, the king of the world, God in human flesh, lying in a feeding trough for cattle. Verse 17, and when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered what the shepherds told them. I, here's how I take these two verses. I, I could be wrong, but I think maybe this is right. These shepherds quite literally went and told it on the mountain. Perhaps they, you know, they go and they, they, they tell Mary and Joseph everything that they heard with the angels, but then they, they leave and they go back to their fields. And as they're going back to the fields, they tell everyone that they encounter. Maybe it's the next morning, but they tell everyone about the angel and then the choir of angels and that how they told them that the heir to David's throne was going to be born that night. And there he is down at old McDonald's farm in the barn. Right? They literally go and tell it on the mountain. And then we read in verse 19, but Mary, and note, note the word but there, that's a contrast. 
and it's intentional. But Mary treasured up all of these things, pondering them in her heart. And so those who heard the message of the shepherds, they wondered. When they went and they told everybody what they had heard and what they had seen, people said, oh, well, that's, that's really nice. Angels, one angel, a choir of angels, the, the heir of David's throne born down at Old McDonald's farm in the barn. Yeah, okay, yeah, that's interesting. That, we'll, we'll, we'll look into that a little bit later. That, that's kind of the sense here that Luke gives us. But by contrast, Mary, we are told, she treasured all of these things and she pondered them in her heart. And I would encourage you to make note of that church because I am of the opinion that we should likewise treasure the message of Christmas and ponder all of these things in our hearts. It is very easy for us, and I'm sure you're aware of this, it's really easy for us to fix our eyes on the so-called treasures of this world. In fact, the modern celebration of Christmas adds to this problem. Well, what do you want for Christmas? Well, how about a BMW, Santa? Or whatever it is that the Joneses are getting down the street, could, could I have that or could I have a, a double portion of that? That's the, that's the modern celebration of Christmas in our materialistic culture, unfortunately. So how do we guard against that as people who live in this culture? Well, the best way to guard against this is to treasure Jesus Christ every single day of your life. I know you probably hear, I say this in more ways than one, and I say it multiple times, but I really, really mean it. And so if, if you're looking for a New Year's resolution for 2024, here's one for you to consider. Resolve today to ponder the treasure of Christ in your heart, soul, and mind every single day in 2004. Like, write it down on your calendar. Tell Siri. Say, hey, hey, Siri, set a calendar reminder every single day, and now all of our phones are going to go off, right? Only, only mine. No, I turned mine off so she wouldn't respond. Tell Siri. She's the best secretary in the world. Don't tell Michelle that. But you can tell her something, and she will do it. She will write it down. Siri, set a reminder every single day for me to treasure Jesus Christ. And it'll pop up on your phone, and you'll be reminded to do it. If you're looking for a New Year's resolution, this is a good one in my book. Every day, make a point to rehearse in your mind the good news of great joy. That 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem was born Christ the Lord, our Savior, who came to offer you peace with God. So make a point to do that in 2004. Let me conclude with this, church, before we move into the Lord's Supper. The peace that Jesus offers is not in any way like the peace of Rome. Pax Romana that we talked about earlier. The so-called peace of Rome during the reign of Caesar Augustus was achieved on the battlefield at the cost of an enormous amount of bloodshed. It was achieved and maintained by bloodshed, fear, terror, and intimidation. By contrast, the peace that God offers through Jesus Christ is not maintained by fear, terror, or intimidation. Church, if you live every day in, in fear or terror and intimidation of Jesus Christ as a follower of Christ, I'm going to say to you in all love, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. The peace that God offers through Jesus Christ is not maintained in that way. And most of all, the peace of God was not achieved by the blood of many, but through the blood of one, the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. 
In just a moment, we are going to receive the elements of the Lord's Supper in remembrance of our Lord's sacrifice on our behalf. The Lord told us specifically to remember His sacrifice. That, we, that is what we are to do here this morning. And when we remember, we are really treasuring what He has accomplished for us on the cross. As you all know, the juice represents His blood spilled for us on the cross for the forgiveness of sin. And the bread, the bread represents His body. And I think that the bread takes on added significance at this time of year, Christmas season. Why? Because it was His body that He received in His incarnation during His birth. If not for receiving His body, He could not offer it to us as the greatest gift of all. Before we receive the elements of the Lord's Supper, I want us to take a few moments and examine our hearts and treasure and ponder these things. So if you would, please just bow your heads and, and close your eyes. The Bible tells us to, to take the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner. And so with heads bowed and eyes closed, just take a moment right where you are to reflect on Christ and what He has accomplished for you. Take a moment to treasure Him. Though He was rich, He became poor. He sunk Himself into human flesh, the God of glory. Take a moment to really think about that and to treasure that truth. Take a moment to examine your life. Take this opportunity to confess any unconfessed sin that there may be. And take a moment to resolve right here, right now, today, to treasure Him and His great gift for you every single day. Just take a moment of quiet reflection. Father, as we come to your table this morning, as people redeemed by your blood and purchased by your blood, by the, the offering of your body on the cross, help us to come to your table in a worthy manner this morning, confessing and repenting of any sin that needs to be confessed and repented of this morning. Help us to truly appreciate what this represents and what you have achieved for us in your birth and in your death. Your sacrifice really began in your birth, in the incarnation, when you took on human flesh. Pray that by observing these elements today, Lord, that we would, we would just have a, a better and a fuller understanding and appreciation for who you are and what you've done for us through your son Jesus. And I pray all of these things in his wonderful name. Amen.